Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're going to continue our series on resist, and I think it's a very, very important time that we hear this, and this is a message from the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that you love us and you care for us. Thank you so much for being our Savior, our guide, our shepherd, and all in all to us, Lord. And we just give you praise today. Let your word come alive in my lips and our ears and our hearts. We give you praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbors. I'm glad you're here today. If you were here last time, we talked about resisting, and we do have an adversary. We do have opposition. Many believers uh, today are failing in that, and I think they are wandering away from the Word of God. It reminded me of a story I heard many years ago. A fighter uh, was in a very tough match, and he went back to his uh, corner after the, uh, the bell had rang, and his uh, corner helped, and his manager was trying to encourage him. He said, oh, you're doing really good. You're doing so good. He said, the guy's not even laying a hand on you. And he said, well, watch that referee. Somebody's pounding me out there. Let me tell you, you're not going to get through this life without adversity. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to have opposition. Uh, you're going to fail. You're going to do some dumb stuff. Anybody here ever done dumb stuff? Don't hold your hand up. I mean, that's okay. That's everybody. But there's somebody who exacerbates the whole process, and that's the devil. In 2009, the Barna Research Group did a survey of almost 2,000 Christians, Christians, and they asked the question, do you believe that there is a real devil? Uh, 40% strongly agreed that Satan is not a living being or entity. It's only a symbol, only a symbol of evil. And 19% said they somewhat agreed with that. So if you take that number, it's almost 60% of Christians don't believe that there is a real devil. Now, I don't know where they get that. Some of it comes from culture. But the good news is that number is slowly getting better because I think people are seeing the world that's engulfed in evilness, and there's a source of evilness. We have to realize that. So if we're resisting, we're resisting someone, and we're resisting the enemy. And the Bible says if we submit to God and we resist the devil, he will flee from us. So today, I want to talk to you about that, and this is very passionate upon my heart. And as Matt said, if you can help me, please do, because this is a very difficult subject to broach. But I will stay in the Word of God. If I uh, get out of the Word, just say, help the preacher. Matthew chapter 4, this is also found in the Gospel of Luke. This is what we call the temptation of Christ. Uh, Beginning at verse number 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread... But he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said unto him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up to an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, 
For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Other translations and other places says that Satan left him for a season, or he left him for a more opportune time to come back and test and tempt him. Now, in Matthew chapter 3, this is what we know. Jesus is baptized. The Holy Spirit comes upon him as a dove descending upon him. And a voice comes out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Then immediately after that, the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan, of the devil, for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, if you're wondering if this is really Satan, verse 10 identifies the tempter and identifies the devil as Satan himself. So, I want us to look at this morning the strategies of Satan and identify how he attacks us so that we can learn how to resist him. Would that be okay? So every believer needs to know these things, and if you hadn't been taught these things, that's fine. We're going we're to talk about them today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul is dealing with the subject of forgiveness. How many of you know forgiveness is a good thing? Uh, you need to forgive others, others need to forgive you, and you need to forgive yourself. If we don't enter into forgiveness, it is a rocky road forward. And so the enemy can use that. So listen as Paul says about forgiveness. He says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Everybody say devices. <clears throat> what does that mean, his devices? Well, the definition there of this uh, Greek word means how he thinks, his purposes, and how he operates. So Satan operates in a certain way. And he says, we don't have to be ignorant of that. How many of you know we can find it out in the Word of God? So it's called the wiles of the devil, the, king, the, the schemes of the devil, and the devices of the devil. So he has a pattern. He has a way that he operates. And the Word of God tells us how he operates. And you should know that, and I should know that. So how does he operate? Well, let's just break down uh, Matthew chapter 4. Here's the first way he operates. The enemy questions our identity. The enemy questions our identity. Look at verse number 3, Matthew 4. Now the tempter came to him saying, if you are the son of God. Let me tell you something you can take to the bank. He knew he was the son of God. He knew that he was God in the flesh. He had heard that voice before because in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And by the Word, everything was created, even Satan. So he knew that Jesus is the Word of God. He knows that He is the Son of God. And he knows He's Emmanuel, God in the flesh. But let me tell you what he's trying to do to Jesus. He's trying to get him to question his identity. My friends, we're living in a culture today, I've never seen it before, at the capacity and the, the volume we're seeing today, everyone is being challenged on their identity. And you know that to be true. It's one of the most troubling aspects of our culture today. We have identity crisis in gender, in sexuality, in race, and today I'm going to tell you who's behind most of that. It is Satan. He is wanting to question you and me, and us to question ourselves, are you really who you think you are? And if he can get his foot in the door, he's going to tell you that you are the wrong identity, the wrong sex, sex, the wrong gender, the wrong person, and he did it to Jesus, and if he did it to Jesus, he's going to do it to you. The servant is not above the master. 
Now notice this. If you are the Son of God. He doesn't say that to Jesus just once. He says it to him again. If you are the Son of God. When we question how God has formed us and made us and our sexuality and our gender, if we question that, then underlining this question, we're saying, God, you made a mistake when you made me. Then let me go contrary to Scripture, then I am not fearfully and wonderfully made. But let me tell you something, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you are who God created you to be. If you have any question who you are, when you get out of the shower, get in front of a full-length mirror, and that's who you are. Lock the doors. God created you to be you. And he wants you to be you. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing with me. He knew what he was doing with you. But the enemy wants to come and question and have us question our identity. And he did it to Jesus over and over again. Now, let me just take a pause here and inject this. My friends, this is a strategy. And it's working on so many people and it's bringing them to destruction. And we know why he comes. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But your identity is found in Christ. You're a new creature, a new creation in Christ. You are the righteousness of God. You have been healed. Let the poor say, I am rich. You are accepted. You are in the beloved. You are a child, a daughter, a son of God. You have been born again. You've been married to Christ. You have been given the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's who you are. Let me tell you, you are a sinner headed for destruction. Now you're saved, headed for heaven. You are unrighteous. Now you are the righteousness of God. You are lost. Now you're found. You are an enemy of God. Now today you are a friend of God. Oh, I tell you what, you are who you are, and I'm glad we are who we are. Amen? And the enemy wants to come and tell you that's not who you are. You're not righteous. You're not healed. You're not rich in Christ. You are a sinner. You failed. You've made all these mistakes. Listen, that is his strategy. He doesn't want you to know who you are. Number two, Satan attempts to convince us that our fleshly needs are greater than our spiritual needs. Now let me tell you why this is important. Look at verse 3. Command that these stones become bread. He is attacking through the carnal fleshly desires. Now let me ask you a question. Do we have carnal fleshly desires that are good and necessary? And the answer is absolutely yes. Every one of us do. Now Jesus, listen to me, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. Now that kind of blows my mind. But that's what he did. You know, Matt and I had some discussions between service today. If Jesus was just average height and weight, think what he was after 40 days of not eating anything. Emaciated, hungry. Uh, you know, we do a fast every year here at Ray of Hope. Hopefully you've participated and you will in the future if you haven't. And we give people many options. You can fast certain foods. You can, you know, miss a meal a day. And some people don't eat any time for days and days and sometimes a week. Uh, they don't eat anything. Can I tell you my experience of fasting several days? Commercials on television that I never noticed? 
I'm noticing now. When Brahms comes on, I'm glued. Y'all are so holy. I'm just telling you, you know, if you hadn't eaten several days, I mean, either Brahms, uh, you know, comes on, Chicken Express. Uh, listen, if it would be a Slim Jim bar, I'm looking. <laughs> because your flesh is drawn to that. But here he comes. Now listen, you have the ability, you have the power to command stones to be bred. Isn't it odd that he said, are you really the son of God? Then he says, you can turn stones into bread. Strategy. And so this is what we're learning from this, is that Jesus responded that man is not just living by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So listen, you're threefold in nature, your, your body, soul, and spirit. Your flesh is going to go back to the earth if Jesus tarries. But that part of you that's the real you inside of you is going to live forever. Now, we have to realize that feeding our spirit and our soul is just as important as feeding your flesh. And I want you to know, many of us have got this flesh feeding down to a science. I've got it down to a science. I just want you to know. You know, Friday, Carrie asked me, she said, what did you have to eat yesterday? I was afraid to tell her. I'm being honest with you. I was afraid to tell her. And she said, you need to change the way you eat. And that is probably certainly true. But I need to feed the inner man. Let me commend you. That's why you're here today. You're here to feed the inner man. Because this is what we know. The inner man is going to live forever. And we need to feed that inner man. We need to be stronger. We need to realize that that inner man and feeding that inner man, the needs of the spirit are greater than the needs of the flesh. Here's the third thing. He tempts us with destructive impulses in thoughts and suggestions. He will come to your mind, and he will try to bring you down in destructive ways. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 5, the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Throw yourself down. He seduces people to self-destruction. Much of the thoughts that we can have and we do have, and I'm going to guess nearly every person in this house today have had destructive thoughts. Maybe life would be better if I wasn't here. Maybe my family would be better if I wasn't here. Uh, maybe if I checked out, uh, life would be uh, a little simpler. And those thoughts go through many people's minds. Guess who shoots that fiery dart? It's the enemy. Satan tells Jesus, throw yourself down. Do you know this is really thematic through the Bible that he comes to tempt people for destruction? Most abusive and addictive behavior is self-destructive. Many of alternative lifestyles are self-destructive. Matter of fact, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, there's an account, and I'm not going to read all this, but we'll put, put it up on the screens just for time's sake. There, Jesus is going through the crowds, and he's healing, he's delivering, and there's a man who comes out, he has a son, and he's asking Jesus to heal his son. He said, I went to your disciples, and they couldn't do anything. And Jesus said, you're a faithless generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? And he brought the son, and he said, you know, what's going on here? And of course, Jesus knew it. And let me pick it up. In verse 20, he said, this, uh, this spirit that he has, an evil spirit, 
It's causing him to be convulsed. He fell on the ground, wallowed, foamed at the mouth. He said, how long has this happened to him? He said, from childhood, he's been thrown into the fire and the water to destroy. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You know what the enemy's trying to do? Exactly what the Bible says he's trying to do. To kill, steal, and destroy. I'm going to guarantee you there's people even today, they're driving down the road and in their mind, the tempter, the evil one's saying, you ought to just pull over to the other lane and run into that truck. You ought to park the car on the railroad tracks, run into the train. Folks, if it wasn't true, I, I, I wouldn't tell you, but I'm going to tell you, that happens all the time. And the evil one, this is a plan and a ploy. This is one of his devices, his wiles. This is his strategy. He wants you and I to begin to have destructive thoughts. Now, here's the fourth thing. He perverts the Word of God. Say that with me. He perverts the Word of God. Let's say it again. He perverts the Word of God. Look with me at verse number 6 and 7, Matthew 4. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you. Now, isn't this funny and kind of unusual? Jesus has says it is written twice, and now Satan picks up the same line. Did you see it? It is written. Say that with me. It is written. Now, this is not coming from Jesus. Who's it coming from? From Satan. He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. What he is doing, Satan is, he is quoting a passage from Psalm 91. So this is in Psalm 91. Your attention please. Satan knows the word of God. He's been around a long time. Been around a long time. Longer than you, longer than me. He knows it from Genesis to maps. He knows the word of God. And so it's not that he knows the Word of God or doesn't know the Word of God. The, the, the key here is he perverts the Word of God. So what he reads is truth. The Word of God is truth. But he uses it in the wrong context. A context is good when you use Scripture. But a Scripture out of context becomes a pretext and it becomes dangerous. I shared in the early service a few days ago, and I, I shared it last week. I, I took one evening, night, Carrie's going to bed, and I get my iPad, and I get on, and I think I'm going to look at some services around, and even some people I know, and then some ministry from different places. And, and I want to tell you something. After I looked at some of them, I was almost sick in my spirit. It was the show. It became a show. And some of it was so shallow, you only barely hear even Scripture mentioned. I am deeply concerned in my heart about the church. The church is going to survive. The church is going to be strong. But let me tell you, friends, you need to get in a place where the Word of God is preached. You need to be in a place where Scripture is actually read. And listen, if there's any show that's going to go on, Jesus is going to have to do the show. So today, we, we want to be in the Word, but we don't want to see the Word perverted. And Paul even made reference to this in the New Testament. He said there are more people insincere about the Word of God than those who are sincere about the Word of God. And that's a comment by Paul himself. So Satan will take the Word out of context and begin to use it against us. And it's true, the angels will give charge over us. 
But you don't want to, and this is what Jesus said, you should not tempt the Lord your God. Do you know there are about 125 churches in America that handle snakes and drink poison? Always reminds me of the old Wendy Bagwell song. And in the song, he said he was at a church where they handled snakes, and he asked the question. He said, where's the back door? They said, we don't have one. He said, where would you like one? Now, why would people do that? You say, well, it's in the Word of God, and certainly it is. This is Mark chapter 16. Let me read you just three verses. And these signs shall follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it will uh, by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And everything that Mark said has happened in Scripture. Everything that happened in Scripture is recorded right here. There were demons cast out. They did speak with new tongues, right? They did take up serpents and it did not harm them. They did drink deadly things and did not harm them. But how many of you know you don't go looking to tempt God with it? You know, I don't know about you, but uh, I just soon not go there. If it happens, I'm asking God to preserve me and protect me, but I'm not going to tempt him with it. Because let me tell you what the devil's doing here to Jesus, and he does it to everyone. He perverts the Scripture. And this is not the first time. The first time we have recorded is actually in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, we have Adam and Eve in the garden in an enclosed place. And then all of a sudden, guess who shows up? Satan shows up, the serpent. And he comes to Eve, and this is what he does. The first words out of his mouth, Has God said? He knows God said what he said. He, he knew what God meant, but he's perverting what God said in the mind of Eve so Eve would do something that would destroy her and humanity in the future. Has God said? And Eve said, yeah, God said. He said, don't eat of this tree. If you eat of this tree, the fruit of this tree, you shall surely die. And then he comes along and says, God didn't mean that. That's not what God meant. God didn't mean that. Let me tell you about God. God is trying to withhold something from you. God is trying to keep you from something that will be good for you. Young people think that about sex. God's not keeping you from sex. He's keeping you for sex. He's not keeping them from the tree. He's keeping them from death. He said, when you eat this, you shall surely die. And guess what? Back to that uh, issue of... Uh, Appealing to the flesh and not the spirit, she looked at the tree and saw it was good to eat. It appealed to her flesh. So she took it and she ate. And the moment that Adam and Eve ate, they began to die from that moment on. Sin entered the world and this whole universe collapsed because of sin. But let me tell you what he did. He perverted the word of God. Yes, God said this is the reason he said it. This is what he said. And then the serpent, Satan, twisted that and they acted on that perverted word. So we have to be careful that we don't pervert the Word of God, right? God is holding something from you that's good. Now, let me tell you, anything God told you not to touch is for your benefit and for my benefit. Here, here's the fifth thing. The enemy offers only temporary and inferior incentives. Only temporary and inferior incentives. Look, look at Matthew 4 again. The devil took him into an exceeding high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to them, 
All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And what's he doing? He's saying, I want to offer you the kingdoms of this world. In a moment of time, all of these kingdoms can be yours if you fall down and worship me. Why would Jesus do that? Because his kingdom is greater than all the kingdoms of this world. And the Bible says one day that our Savior will smite the nations with a rod of iron and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Christ. The kingdom of Christ is greater than the kingdoms of this world. And there's many people selling their soul to be a part of the kingdoms of this world. Let me tell you, there's a kingdom that's already started on this earth in you and me that's greater than anything in this world. And that's the kingdom of God. And one day that kingdom will permeate all of the earth, the new heaven and new earth, and we're going to rule and reign with Christ. Can I hear an amen? But what he does, he offers you something inferior for what is something even greater value. He wants to trade with you. As Matt and I discussed, Matt said it's almost like Jacob and Esau. Esau traded something inferior or, or superior to the inferior what Jacob gave him. He sold his birthright for something of less value. People do it all the time. They do it all the time. So don't trade the temporary, the inferior, for the superior and the eternal. That's good news. And that's good advice. So here's my answer. And there's three things I want to share with you as we close up today. How do we respond to the devices, the wiles, and the schemes of the devil? Well, the Bible tells us, here's number one, when you're challenged to doubt, apply truth. When you're challenged to doubt, apply truth. When you have the doubt, then respond and resist with truth. You have to resist the doubt and remember the truth. In Ephesians chapter 6, most of you know this, it begins in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his mind. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand or stand the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness or host, wickedness in high or heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your waist or your loins gird with truth. Now listen to me. This is where he starts. You know where he starts with the, with the armor of God? Truth. Truth will always negate and resist doubt. He says, gird yourself with truth. Truth. Do you know your loins and your waist is where your body's digestive area is? It really is. That's where you separate what is healthy for you and will go in your body to make you productive and healthy and strong. And it's also the place where you eliminate what you don't need. So when the word comes, the thought comes, the feeling comes, the enemy comes, if you're girded about with truth, you accept what will help you and grow you, and you eliminate what you don't need. I mean, this is poop theology here, friends. 
Listen, I'm telling you something. If you're girded about with truth, then you're able to <laughs> get rid of the lie, the doubt, the fear, but you're also able to digest what is truth that will help you. It is also the area, ladies, where your reproductive organs are. It's where your uterus is. It's where your ovaries are. It's where you uh, have the eggs to go for fertilization. It's where you birth something. So you have to have your waist, your loins, girt about with what? Truth. Because that will help you give what we need to be right with God, to be fruitful with God, to hear the things of God, to determine what is uh, not right, what is right, what's in context, what's out of context. So we're able to process that process that because it's one of our defensive weapons to have our loins girt about with what? Truth. Here's the second thing. Truth is found in God's Word. Truth is found in God's Word. Let me tell you, this relativism that we're living in today, truth is everybody's spectrum, right? It's true for that, true for that, true for that. How many of you know God's Word is truth? The Bible says your Word is truth. So we have to realize God's Word is truth. It is written, Jesus Listen to me, Jesus, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, is weak in his flesh, but he's strong with the word. That's why Paul said this is not a flesh and blood battle. If it was a flesh and blood battle, Satan could have taken him because he was weak after 40 days. But he was strong in the word. It is written, it is written, it is written. You need to know the word of God. And if you're a new believer, just, just keep reading Keep going to class, keep listening, and let me tell you what happens. It layers up on you and in you. You get the word in you, get the word in you, get the word in you. And now you're able to know what is truth, what is not truth, what's in context, what's out of context, and you begin to use it against the enemy. Because this was the key of Jesus. He says, it is written. The word of God is effective against the enemy. Now, we stop there in Ephesians chapter 6. Let, let's go on. Verse 14, the last part of that, having on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, which is which you will be able to quench the fiery darts, all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now look at this last one. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Say that with me. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Everything he listed is defensive in nature except one. Everything he listed is defensive in nature except one. And when he came to the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, he says, this is your offensive weapon. It is the weapon of the Spirit. It is the Word of God. Do you realize how powerful the Word of God is? Everything you know, everything that exists in our universe came about by the Word of God. And when heaven and earth passes away, the word will still be here. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will not pass away. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Friends, the word created everything. The word is the most powerful force in the universe keeping things together. And it's a powerful weapon to keep the enemy away from you. Resist the devil. And so what do we do? We use the word, just like Jesus did. It is written, it is written. Everything defensive except the 
sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Three times, Jesus comes back by saying, it is written. Hebrews 4.12, a verse you're very familiar with, for the Word of God is quick, powerful, living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, for it can pierce even the division, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So what do you do with the thoughts and the intents of your heart? You let the Word cut out what you don't need, put in what you do need, right? We would say, not sword today, we might use the word scalpel. It is a strategic, spiritual surgery to put in things that you need and to cut out of things that you don't need, right? So this is the sword of the Spirit. We need the Word of God. Now here's the last thing this morning. Uh, we need to be salt and light. We need to be salt and light. Now, salt preserves and resists decay, and light will resist darkness, and it will overcome darkness. Jesus said this about you and me. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, let me tell you how that works. Look at your neighbor, and you say, really? That guy is the salt of the earth? That's the light of the world? They can't even find their shirt in the closet. Let me tell you why you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Because you have Jesus in you. If we don't understand that, then the Bible contradicts itself. Because the Bible says he's the light of the world. But yet Jesus said you're the light of the world. You know why you're the light of the world? Because Jesus is in you. Do you know what salt does? It preserves. It prevents decay. And light pushes back darkness. The only reason the world is still spinning and time is still ticking and culture is still going on is because of you. It's because of you. Matter of fact, Paul addressed this in the book of Thessalonians. He said there's going to come a day when that withholds, that which withholds is taken away and then the men of sin will come to power and, and, and all this is going to go to hell in the handbasket. Can you say that in church? But it's true. Let me tell you what's happening. If you're the salt of the earth, you're preserving the earth. If you're the light of the world, you're keeping darkness at bay. But there's going to come a day when believers are going to be off of this planet and the planet is not going to be preserved. It's going to be destroyed. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth created in righteousness. Now, how do we know that? You remember a guy by the name of Lot? Now, Lot... Had a lot of issues. I, listen, I'm not even going to list them. I could list a lot of uh, issues I have with Lot. And he was in a wicked city called Sodom. And you've heard the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. But this is what we know. God would not allow Sodom to be destroyed until Lot got out of it. He would not allow Sodom to be destroyed until he got Lot and his family out of it. Now, his wife didn't have a good ending, but I'm going to tell you something. Even as... Uh, Many issues that Lot had, he was the preserving force for that wicked city. But as soon as he was out, destruction came on that city. I'm going to tell you something. As soon as believers are out of this world, destruction's coming on this earth. So what are we doing? 
We are the salt. We're the light. We're pushing back the darkness. We are preventing the decay. We are keeping this thing going. And the only way we do that is we resist the enemy and he will what? Flee from us. And the only way you can resist the enemy is you have to submit to God. Submitting to God and resisting the enemy that he may flee from you. So we need to be resisting the enemy so he can what? Flee from us. He doesn't walk away from us. He what? Flees from us. Why? Because he sees the Christ in you. And you're using the word of God against him. And he knows the word. And he knows the word is more powerful than any scheme, any device, and any wily thing that he can do. I mean, when I think of Wiley, I think of Wiley Coyotes. Anybody like that here? My, my son married a, a beautiful young lady who's also an attorney from Wiley, Texas. And when Matt first met her, he said, what is your school mascot? And she said, we're the Wiley Pirates. And he said, you should be the Coyotes. If you're young, you don't understand what we're saying. But there is a scheming devil, a wily devil, that is trying to destroy you, and you need to learn how to resist him and be, be victorious. Now, let me kind of sum this up. The Bible says that Satan roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, we used this last week. May is a permissive term. Why does Satan destroy some people, but he can't destroy other people? They don't give him the permission. They don't give him the permission. They're resisting. They're resisting. They're resisting steadfast in the faith, according to Scripture. Resist him, and he will flee from you. Doesn't mean you won't have problems. Doesn't mean you're not going to have challenges. Doesn't mean you're not going to have difficulties. Don't, doesn't mean you're not ever going to be sick. But it means that you have victorious uh, authority over Satan. But the Bible describes him as a roaring lion. So there has to be some characteristics we get in this lion characteristic. Let me tell you something. This is what I know about big cats. Whether it's a bobcat, whether it's a puma, a cougar, or a lion, most of them do their hunting at night. They're nocturnal. That's why God gave them the eyes. You ever looked at the eyes of a cat? I mean, they're big, they're round, they look different from other eyes because they're nocturnal. The lion does most, he can hunt in the day, I'm not saying that, but most of his hunting is done at night. Let me tell you a good advice for you, stay out of darkness. Stay out of dark places. Stay away from dark people. If you stay in darkness, you're in his territory. You're not children of darkness, the Bible says you're children of light. Stay out of darkness. And if you stay out of darkness, you're going to be so much better than being in his territory because he's nocturnal, and that's where he hunts. Another thing, stay in your group, stay in the herd, because this is what these predatory animals do. They try to single out someone from the herd because they're easily captivated. There is safety in numbers. Where two or three are gathered in my name... There I am in the midst of them. I mean, no, he can't defeat Jesus. And when we gather together in his name, what did he say? He says, there I am in the midst of them. I'm glad Jesus is here today, don't you? You know why? You brought him. 
And I brought Him. He's in our hearts. He's in our lives. And when we come together to worship and to praise, we celebrate Him. We lift up the name of Christ. We celebrate the God who is our Savior, our Redeemer, who's created all things. And He's in the midst of us. And as we worship and as we pray and as we hear the Word of God, guess what we're doing? We're resisting the devil. We're resisting the enemy. And my friends, there's people out there right now, as you said here, and they're being challenged and they're being overwhelmed and they're wondering why they have so much trouble. Goodness gracious, a checkup from the neck up. Get in the Word, get with God's people and resist the enemy. For he will flee from you. That's not my opinion. That is the word of God. And sometimes you have to resist more than once. And Jesus did. It is written. It is written. It is written. Don't think he will leave because you glance his way. You've got to use the sword of the Spirit, the Word on Him, and you may have to do it more than once and more than twice. You may even have to do it three times. So He will what? Flee from you so you can have the abundant life in Christ Jesus and not be killed and stolen from and destroyed. Can I hear an amen? Bow your head with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.